Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. We got a lot to cover. Bahar Bechukosai, two Parshios this week as we round out the book of Vayikra. Big thank you to our generous Parsha series sponsors, Becky and Avi Katz and family, in memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, Lili Nishmas, David Ben Menachem Manash. Thank you to the Grossmans for their incredible, for the uh, Katzes, for their incredible generosity. As I said, we got a lot to cover. Parsha's Bahar begins, page 696 in the Art Scroll. Stone Hashem spoke to Moshe at Harsina. We've spoken much about in the past. Why does this parsha begin that God spoke to Moshe at Harsina? All mitzvahs were given at Harsina. What's special about Shemitah? What's special about the beginning of this parsha? Rashi, of course, is bothered. What does Shemitah have to do with Harsina specifically? One could give this introduction for every mitzvah we're not going to get into right now. You could listen to the previous shiurim. To find out more, when you enter the land, that I'm giving to you, the land shall rest. The land needs to sit, the land needs to remain fallow. We do so to protect and preserve the richness of the land. If we want the land to produce, then you have to allow the land to rest. And in this way, the law of Shemitah is very much a metaphor for men. We are likened, we are like the tree of the field. We are like the field. And we need to rest. We need Shabbos once every week. We need Shemitah once every sabbatical cycle. We need to build and rest. Something our generation desperately needs. We are always in motion, always in movement, always doing, always going. And sometimes we need to learn to stop. We need to learn to be still. Shabbos Lashem. Six years you plant. Six years you, six years you uh, prune. And you gather your... Now, it's not a concession. Rav Moshe Feinstein points out here, six years working is part of the mandate and mission. Work the land, protect the land, make the land work for us, let the land produce for us. The Torah is giving it as an instruction. It's not if you need, if you have to, if no one else will provide, then go work. Six years go and plant six years go, and plow six years go, and prune, and then you can collect. In the seventh year, Shabbat Shabbat is Shemitah. Last year in Israel was a Shemitah year, and the Torah delineates the many detailed laws, complicated and difficult, and Baruch Hashem, we're privileged to be living at a time in a generation. Shemitah is being more widely observed than in a very long time, maybe than ever. And it's a very, very beautiful thing, hopefully a very great merit for the Jewish people. But skip ahead, Perech Hafei, Pasuk Yudtes. Because the Torah here tells us something very interesting. It gives us all of these laws and says, what if you're going to fear? What if you're going to fear what's going to happen? Top of page 700. over the land will give you its fruit and you'll eat till you're sated, and you will dwell securely on the land. Is there a greater bracha? As we meet this morning on this beautiful log, Ba'omer, wishing everyone a good yantif, our life should be illuminated by the light of Rav Shimon Bar Yochai, this log Ba'omer, hod shebahod, a day of deep and profound gratitude, the day the man began to fall, log Ba'omer, the yurt said of the Ramah, log Ba'omer, Rav Shimon Bar Yochai, so much in log Ba'omer, but as we gather to study these parshios on log Ba'omer, cities in the south of Israel are being evacuated. Because just last night, Israel went in and finally, some would say, eliminated some terror leaders and uh, they expect a retaliation and countless rockets. So is there a greater bracha than vishavtem lavetach aleha? The hope and the dream to live with peace and security in the land of Israel. And the Torah here anticipates and the Torah here tells us, what, what, what are you going to say? Hashem says, Six years worked the land, the seventh unpaid sabbatical. Last year in Shemitah, we did a, a few Shemitah programs. One of them, we had a wonderful farmer, Alana Twil, came to share her experience with her husband uh, of letting their field lay fallow, an unpaid sabbatical. And what do you do in that unpaid sabbatical year? You sit and you study Torah, you learn, you connect and come close to Hashem. What else do you have to do? That takes enormous emuna, takes enormous faith to take not a paid sabbatical, there's no faith in getting a paid sabbatical, and faith that they'll want you when you come back, that's the only faith. There's no faith in having a paid sabbatical, but an unpaid sabbatical. So it's only natural that the farmer's going to say, What do you mean? If we're not plowing and planting and pruning and harvesting, what will we eat in the seventh year? So Hashem says, relax, don't worry. 
I'm going to, if you anticipate, you will indeed observe the law of Shemitah and rest in the seventh year. In the sixth year, I'm going to up my game, says God. I'm going to shower blessing on you. In the sixth year, you'll have enough for the sixth, seventh, and eighth year. You will be good to go. You'll sow in the eighth year, you'll eat from the old crops until the ninth year, you'll have enough in the sixth year for the sixth, seventh, and eighth year, and you'll get back into business in the ninth year. You are good to go. This is brought down, we might have mentioned this in the past, as one of the examples or sources of evidence of the divine authorship of the Torah. Because if you were a man or committee of men, of people, writing a Torah, why would you offer a promise? that you can't follow through on. Because what's going to happen? How long will your religion last? Until seven years after you create it, maybe six. When, for some, the promise may not come true that their field will yield enough for the sixth, seventh, and eighth. So is this, maybe this is evidence that the divine authorship of the Torah, that a Baruch Hu wrote the Torah. But in any case, sixth, seventh, and eighth year, manuchal, a person's going to say, what will we eat? Last year, I believe it was last year, we quoted Rav Bender, the great Rav Bender, the Rosh of Darchei, where Rav Bender in his wonderful Sefer on Chumash says, notice, the Torah, does it criticize the farmer who asks Manochal? It doesn't say, v'chi somru, maybe you'll say. The weak among you will say. The anxious and nervous among you will say. Those with little faith will say. It's not what the Torah says. What does the Torah present? When you will predictably, understandably say, what will we eat? And Rav Bender quoted sources so beautifully to reassure us and validate that when a person has concerns, when a person is anxious, that is not in fact a breach of faith. It's consistent with faith. From the very fact that the Torah anticipates and predicts and validates and doesn't criticize the individual who asks, what will we eat in the seventh year? doesn't say, what's the matter with you? Where's your Amuna? But says, it's a, re- it's a reasonable question. It's a legitimate concern. Let me tell you how we'll deal with it. That is, in fact, reassuring to us who sometimes are concerned or are nervous. That is built in. HaKadosh Baruch Hu understands. That was last year. But this year, I want to share a Heilige Noam Elimelech. The great Noam Elimelech, Rav Elimelech of Lezhinsk, quotes what in the Imros Tahoros, the Rachmas Rivka Rebbe quotes in the Imros Torahs from the Nomali Melech, and he says, the Nomali Melech offers a bavusta Nomali Melech. I don't know how often he gives that. A bavusta Nomali Melech. B'Shem Achim, one of the places that the Nomali Melech quotes his brother. Who is the brother of Rav Eli Melech of Lezhinsk? Rav Zusha, the Rebbe Rav Zusha, the great Rav Zusha. It's a beautiful book that came out a few years ago. An English book of the story of the Holy Brothers, the two brothers. The Nomali Melech and the Rebbe Reb Zusha. So he quotes his brother, the Rebbe Reb Zusha, and he uses very, very beautiful language to describe his brother and invoking this teaching of his brother. Sheikh Shalakasov, his brother, Rebbe Reb Zusha, asked, God responds, Don't worry when you worry, when you panic. I will increase, I'll up my game, I'll give you even, even greater bracha. You'll grow enough in the sixth year for the sixth, seventh, and eighth year. The Torah normally consolidates. The Torah normally is succinct. The Torah normally doesn't use 15 synonyms, but just gives it over easily. And here, the Torah seems to elaborate. The Torah seems to expand and dwell. If you'll say, you might say, you're going to say, you have a question, here's what the answer is. What's with all the elaboration? What do we have to anticipate and predict the questions? We have to elaborate and dwell on and give the lengthy answers. What's going on over here? And then, we should have said immediately, if you worry and if you say, what will we eat? Or leave out the question, why doesn't the Torah simply say, here's a law called Shemitah. Every seventh year, rest. Let the land lay fallow. And, I'm going to increase my bracha. Don't worry. You'll have enough in the sixth year for the sixth, seventh, and eighth. Why does it have to be, why does it have to be prompted by the farmer's question? Just offer the bracha. Just offer the guarantee. Why is the guarantee only offered as a response and in the context of the fear or the panic or the question or the worry 
of the farmer. Azayfrekt, the Rebbe, Reb Zusha. This was the question of the Rebbe, Reb Zusha. Kam yesh lohavin, kimiloshan akasav mashma, shemachma sheyomra manochal, lekach vetzivestiz birchasi. It sounds like God's only offering the guarantee. He's only offering the promise as a response to the worry. So what happens? If you don't panic and you don't fear and you don't worry, and you confidently obey the laws of Shemitah, and you let the land lay fallow, then you don't get the bracha of in the sixth year growing enough for the sixth, seventh, and eighth year? V'zeh tamua. Adraba. Im lo yishalu klau manochal. Who should get more of a bracha? The one who expresses worry and doubt, uncertainty and fear, or the one who sits back and says, God, you tell me jump, I say, how high? You say, let the land lay fallow, I say, no problem. Who should be more guaranteed the bracha? The one who showed the greater faith, and yet the Torah presents it almost as if you need to show doubt, and then you invoke God's bracha. And if you didn't express the doubt, you're on your own. Doesn't make sense. V'yama Levar said the Rebbe Reb Zusha, quoted by his brother the Noamali Melech Ravali Melech of Lezhinsk, Ki ha'emesi kishabara, kadosh baruch ha'olam heichen v'hiskin tzinorosha, yiridas ha'shefa min ha'shamayim, l'chol tzorchei ha'adam. And the kadosh baruch who created the world, he created all kinds of pipeline, all kinds of highways of bracha, of blessing to descend from the heavens, to provide and fulfill all the tzorchei ha'adam, all that we need, who created a world and the world can rain down all the bracha that we need. If you need an image of what that means, he created an ecological cycle. We know that's true in the physical sense. For the farmer to grow, what does he need? He needs precipitation, clouds, converting into rain, water. There's a whole cycle. Kodesh created the Bria, the Almighty created the world, with precipitation and clouds and rain, and that's my entire knowledge of the eco-cycle right there, the ecosystem, but he created it and set it in motion to provide for us. And similarly, metaphysically, spiritually, he created an ecosystem of pipelines that a Kodesh Baruch was able to rain down on us, bracha from Shamayim. It's brought down in Kabbalistic sources that the, pipe, the pipeline, the channels through which the bracha descends upon us, come through the Hadras Ponim, the payas and the beard. The Hasidish Asfarim, the Tzemach Tzadik and others say, when you trim the beard or you cut the payas, you sever the pipeline. You cut off the pipeline and you are preventing the flow of bracha from falling down. That's it's a, the Tzemach Tzadik, it's the Hasidish Kabbalistic. That's why Hasidim don't trim their beard whatsoever from the moment it grows in. Like Ba'omer, Shmag Ba'omer, who needs the Omer? They never try and touch the beard. The entire, uh, their entire lives. Okay, the tzinoros, these channels that come down, that come down. And once Hashem sets it in motion, just like the ecosystem and the eco-cycle, just like precipitation and rain, Hashem pressed play, set it in motion. He is still, of course, the source behind it. Kishbarchu is divinely determining when the rain falls, but He set it in motion. And there is no barrier. So Kodesh Baruch Hu has these pipelines, these channels of bracha that descend upon us, and there is no breach, there is no barrier, there is no interruption to them when we are worthy, when we express emunah and bitachon in Him. But if you start to interfere and you say, Hashem, you sure you got this? How are you going to work that exactly? How will you make sure I don't go hungry? What's going to happen? The market looks like it's down. How is this? My retirement fund? What's going to be with the pledge I made to the capital campaign, counting on the fact that I'm a little worried, I'm a little nervous. How are you going to do it? How are you going to arrange it? How is it all going to work out? When we express doubt, you know what doubt does? Doubt punctures a hole in the pipeline in the channel of bracha from above. It's flowing freely. It's flowing beautifully. It's flowing at high velocity. Sit back and enjoy. You will get what you determine, Hashem determines you need. He'll get what we each need, what's best for us. And when we express doubt, we puncture a hole. We make a leak in the channel, in the pipeline of bracha coming down from Shemayim. He neighbors a mekakalan, a satsinura, a ashba, a ashba, a nefsekes, chalila. 
When we, as man frakt kashias, says nisht, damte amuna, amuna pshuta. I'm not going to keep trying to read the Yiddish. I'm going to quit while I'm behind. Vaz tarach agarish baruch lahaskan sinoris hashefa mechadash amenasha teridash bala adam alayachzalam umah. So what does he have to do, Hashem? He sends one of his heavenly celestial repair people. And they have to come down now and repair the pipe. Pipe was flowing beautifully. All was working. You had to open your mouth. You had to challenge. You had to question. You had to worry. You put a hole in the pipe. He's got to now repair the pipe so that the flow of bracha could continue again. So when you express doubt in him, he's got to send the repairman to go fix the pipe, to go start the flow again. Had you never asked, had you never challenged, had you never wondered, had you never panicked, there would never be a breach, there'd never be a break, there'd never be a hole. He would never have needed to restore the flow, to restart the bracha. So with that, the Rebbe Rebzusha answered both his questions. Why does the Torah elaborate? Why not just say to begin with? There's going to be Shemitah, and right after Shemitah, I'm going to give you more than ever. You know why? You wouldn't have needed that bracha. The bracha was already coming. You didn't need to renew or restore the bracha. It was already flowing. What precipitated having to renew and restore the bracha was the doubt, the hesitation, the challenge to Hashem. And that's why Torah needs to elaborate. Couldn't succinctly say, keep Shemitah, there'll be a big bracha. It had to be keep Shemitah. If you'll ask, what are we going to do? Then I'll have to restore the bracha. And that's why Torah presents it. No, the one who expresses the doubt is the one who needs the bracha. If you never express the doubt, you don't need the bracha. Why? Because you won't get the bracha? No, because there was never an interruption to the flow of the bracha. It was flowing all along. It was flowing nonstop. It was flowing at a beautiful high velocity. And that's what the Rebbe Rebzusha said. He quotes, The Torah continues, The land will give its fruit. You'll lead to your satisfaction. And you're going to live, sit securely on it. And as I said, certainly our brothers and sisters in Israel are very much on our minds today, every day. But as they face this threat, a renewed threat, likely from the south, we wish them to sit with safety, with security. What's vetach? In, in Israel, bitachon is security. Bitachon is security. Emuna, this is really for the Emuna here, not Parsha, but Emuna is the knowledge there is a creator. There's a creator who created the universe, set it in motion. There's a creator who's intimately knowledgeable and involved in everything of our lives. That's Emuna. What's bitachon? Bitachon is, he's my security guard. I put my faith, my safety, my security in him. He's my security. Bitachon. So he quotes the Mavasa Tzedek based on this Reb Zusha. If you ask, and he provides, and you eat to your satisfaction, now, enough, no more questions, no more doubt, no more worry. When you realize every day you have something in your belly, and a roof over your head, and you figured it out, all that worry, all that fear, all that panic, as the great Mark Twain once said, I've had so many fears and concerns, so many worries in my life, almost all of which never came true. There's a much better quote, but it's something like that. It's much better. You can Google it. But Mark Twain once said something like that. I've had so many worries in my life, almost all of which never came true. Vishavtem lavetach. Sit back with bitachon. Take initiative. Work hard. Be proactive. Shishas shanim. Six years you have to go work. You can't just sit back and think that you're going to get Uber Eats delivery to the door, paid for courtesy of someone else. You have to get up and you have to go to work. But once you do, vishavtem lavetach. Put your bitachon in Hashem. It's when you ask this ma nochal, what will I eat? Now you're going to create your own problems because your question, your doubt, your uncertainty, you're questioning the faith. That's what punctures the hole. That's what puts a leak in the pipe. 
If you want the pipe to work, Vishavtam Lavetach, live with Bitachon in Hashem. That is the Noam Alemelech quoting his brother, the Rebbe Rebzusha. Again, if you like last year, Rebender, go with Rebender. Rebender validated and reassured it's only normal to worry. Vachisomru, if you'll ask, that's normal, it's natural, you're good to go. This year is, no, don't ask, don't worry, work on your Bitachon and Amuna. It's the beauty of Torah. Every year you have a different vort. I, Barabbai, last year, yeah, that was last year. This is this year. Shivan Panama Torah. Torah has layers and layers and layers. And it tells us what we need to hear any given year. So if you need to hear the Rebender, hear the Rebender. If this year you need to hear the Rebbe Rebzusha, hear the Rebbe Rebzusha. Each year we hear what we need to hear. Perach Pasuk Yud Zayin. Yud Zayin. Sorry, going backwards. Torah tells us, back page, 698. Torah tells us here when it comes to the purchase, the transfer of land, of property in this context, you shall not, you shall not aggrieve your fellow man. Torah cautions us against which is financial usury. Don't charge too much. Don't charge exorbitant, unreasonable prices. And here the Torah is telling us not only financially to charge exorbitantly, but don't lo sonui onaz dvarim. Onaz dvarim is to mislead, to aggrieve, to aggravate. Fear God, because I am the Lord, your God. Our great Otsar Plos HaTorah, our favorite Otsar Plos HaTorah says the following. Belo sonu ishas amiso, zaktarashi, kan hinsir al onaz dvarim, shlo yaknet ishas chavero. Don't aggrieve, don't aggravate, don't harass, don't hurt, don't tell your friends about tshuva, remember when you used to do everything wrong, don't mislead and you go to the hospital to visit someone and you see someone else and they say, it's so nice you came. You have to be honest, if it's not gonna hurt someone's feelings, you have to be careful, person has to be careful. So he quotes here very interestingly. Mesechah's Baba Basar, I was excited when I saw this because someone asked me recently and I didn't have a makor, I didn't have a source, I didn't know. The Gemara in Baba Basar tells us, we all know that as of Rosh Hashanah, Hashem determines our income, our revenue, our, our livelihood for the year. Davin hard. Davin hard all of Elul, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, because it's signed and sealed what you're going to get this year. What does that mean? So why go to work? signed and sealed what I'm going to get. So here's the direct deposit, Hashem. Just send it right in, wire it over. Why do I have to go to work? So the answer is, Mizonos of Ketsuvin doesn't mean here's the number. It means here are the brackets of what you can get. Here's the maximum. You got to still work. You got to put in the time. You got to take the initiative. You got to make the effort. But you can make all the effort in the world. You won't make more than it. Which is why a person can't show excessive hishtadlas. We've spoken, we've given 300 amunashirim, we've spoken early on in them, this balance between hishtadlas and amuna, faith and initiative. If you show too much initiative, you have no faith. Too little initiative, because you think you have faith, is a counterfeit, it's not an authentic faith. What's the right balance? What's the right amount of initiative to take? If Hashem wants you to be a millionaire, he can make you a millionaire working 12 hours a day, not 18 hours a day. So when you work more than what's reasonable and normal, then you're taking excessive initiative. That's a lack of faith in Hashem. But if you say, I'm gonna work an hour a day and Hashem give me a livelihood of a full-time job. If you take too little initiative and you claim it's because you have faith in God, that's a corrupt type of a faith. It's not a genuine, real faith. So the Gemara Hashanah says, just like, just like Mizonosa Shaladam, how much money are you going to make this year? What are the bracket? What's the maximum amount you can make this year? What's the potential you can make this year? That was determined on Rosh Hashanah. Similarly, Chesronosov, your losses this year were determined on Rosh Hashanah. So you know that investment that went bad? You know the market went down? You know a person hit your car and drove away and didn't leave their insurance? And now you've got a deductible to pay? That was all determined on Rosh Hashanah. So don't get bent out of shape about it now, because that was all decided on Rosh Hashanah. The Sefer, Maloha Omer, Maleha Omer, and Parshas Bahar, I don't know the Sefer. Lagonab Aryeh Leib, Tzins, Viplotsk. 
Only the Otsar plus the Torah. I, I don't know who the Sefer is. Pinchev. Lived in Pinchev. He was the son, I think the uncle of Rabbi Yonasan Eipschitz. I'm not sure exactly. Anyway, he writes, Don't, don't aggrieve, don't aggravate your friend. Have awe of God, I am God. Says the following interesting thing. If a person aggrieves, aggravates a friend, he'll have to lose out from what he gained elsewhere. You can't gain more than when God determined for you to have. So if you gain in an unjust, inappropriate, corrupt way, then you'll have to lose somewhere else. Someone asked me recently, let's say it was determined from above, Hashem said, this year you're going to make $100,000. But now you cheat, lie, steal, so you were able to get another 10000 Is that included in the 100000 that Hashem said you'd get? Or did you beat the system? Did you cheat the system? You'll pay, there'll be a consequence, but you cheated the system by making more outside of what was determined. So he says from here, don't try to make your friend lose or gain, figure out their calculation, because they took from elsewhere, so now they have to lose from here. Ani Hashem, let Hashem decide. We don't get even, we don't take revenge, we don't try to manipulate. Kurdish Baruch Hu decides. So you can't beat the system. If you unjustly earned, that comes off the top of what Hashem had determined you're going to get. And Hashem is the one who calculates and has the mass spreadsheet, He's the one who keeps the entire system. Skip ahead to another halacha, similar, another financial halacha, page 702. The Torah tells us what happens if your brother becomes impoverished. You must strengthen him. Strengthen him, he can live with you. Last year we shared an entire insight into this. Why does it say, your brother becomes impoverished? He falters with you. The beautiful Bashem. We shared this last, last year. It means that if you saw it, it happened in your vicinity, if you became aware of it, you're meant to do something about it. We don't believe in Judaism, that you ever have the luxury of burying your head. You can't close your eyes. You can't pretend you didn't see. You can't say it's someone else's problem. But if you're aware, imach, if it happened in your vicinity, if it happened in your presence, step up and do something. Next pasuk. Al tikach this is the Torah prohibition. You cannot take interest and you have to fear God. Let your brother live with you. This is the Torah prohibition. You're not allowed to take interest. You're not allowed to... Torah here says there's a biblical prohibition to pay interest and a biblical prohibition to charge interest. Both parties violate the law if they invoke interest. Rashi says, Rashi Torah here specifically says when it comes to this law, don't charge interest, be God-fearing. Why this law? Why doesn't it say it for other laws? Our parsha, our parshios are replete with all these laws. And not every law ends with, shake the lulav, be God-fearing. Put up the mezuzah, be God-fearing. Where it's filling, be God-fearing. Don't let your neighbor's Blood be spilled, be God-fearing. Not every law ends with that. So why specifically, oh no, charging interest and usury, why does that end with it? And Rashi tells us, you know why? Because people have a really hard time parting with their money. And you know what? It's really legitimate to charge interest. There is a time value of money. This insight is most meaningful this year. When, if you keep your money in the bank, for the last several years when I said this to Torah, you were earning 0.00001% interest. So your cash burning a hole in the bank was doing nothing. And if you lend it to your friend, don't charge interest, big deal. It's exactly what you were getting in the bank. 
But today, you could buy munis, you could buy bonds, or just sitting in a cash fund in the bank. What's it earning today? Four, five, six percent? Thank you, inflation. But that's what it's earning sitting in a bank. So your friend comes to you and says, I've hit some hard times. Can't pay my mortgage. Or I have an opportunity in business. I need some seed money. Can I borrow money? You say, sure. What do you need? I need $100,000. Done. But here's the deal. That $100,000 would have given me back $105,000. So you could borrow the $100,000, but you got to give me back $5,000. Because by lending you the money, I'm happy to not lose money by lending it to you, but I don't want to lose money. I don't need to make money. I don't want to lose money. There's a time value to money. There's the interest I stood to earn. If I'm not earning it, you should pay it. Moreover, the $100,000, even if it weren't sitting in the bank, I could have deployed it. I could have invested it. I could have made a return on it. So I'm losing that opportunity, the time value of money. So Rashi says all this. Rashi was a vinter. He ran a business. He understood the time value of money. He understood inventory of wine. And Rashi says, people understand basic economics and finance. They understand the concept time value of money. They want to recover, not lose when they lend. So it's only natural to be moraheter. It's only natural to say, well, the circumstance is different. This is unusual in this circumstance. It's okay to lend with interest. And that's why the Torah has to say, specifically here, via reisa me'elokecha. Whoa, 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 buddy. Time value, shmaim value, economics 101. You're not so, put aside all your fancy calculations. Don't be moraheter. Don't look for a leniency. Don't justify your behavior. Be God-fearing. And God says, a Jew can't charge interest. It's true for all laven. So said Rabbi Yeruchim, Zakta Mashkiach of the Mir Yeshivan is Das Teire, said Rabbi Yeruchim, Bemakum Shekem is Yira Eino Ras Heter, Cholo Ras Heter Navas Mitzach Imbo Yira Shemayim. This is an area where a person would tend to, would likely be Mora Heter. What does being Mora Heter mean? Look for a leniency, to look for the leniency. This is a message to our generation, the chat GBT generation, the Google POSIG generation that says, you know, Rabbi, I Googled it and I found Epis, a rabbi who lived at this time in this place that wrote, every other rabbi in the history disagreed with him, but I dug up a source. I found some rabbi. I found a contemporary rabbi who lives on the moon, who never ever heard of, who we don't know where his smich is from, but it says rabbi before his name. And he said, I can do this, so I can do it. I want to be able to go hear music during Sphere. I want to be able to go hear the, it's Kolisha, but I want to be able to go to the Broadway show. I, I dug up a rabbi who said, Epis, this, I can do this. Where does the phenomenon of being Moraheter come from? Our generation suffers from this. Instead of adopting a Rav, a Selech, a Rav, a Posek, a sense of Yerushamayim, wanting to follow Halacha, Moraheter. And where is the source of being Moraheter? The phenomenon of a population who look for the lowest common denominator, who seek the most lenient position, who want the easiest way out, that comes from a lack of Yerushamayim. If if you have a healthy dose of Yerushamayim, of awe of Hashem, you're not looking for the easiest way out. You're not looking for the least. You're not looking for the biggest leniency. You're looking to do it right. You're looking to get it right. I once was at a uh, meeting of a group of Rabbanim, and a big Rav spoke to them, and he said about a certain community, I won't use the name or the label he used for that segment of the Orthodox community, and he said, you know, many of them, they, they, and I think it was wrong to generically lump a group together. I remember being deeply offended at the time that I heard it, and later coming around to believing to agree with him. But this demographic or this segment of society of the Orthodox community, if you view keeping halacha as shas archak, really Shabbos is annoying, kashrus is restrictive, davening is detailed, tznias is, is uh, inconvenient, repressive. I don't want to be doing any of this. I just want to fit in. I want to live freely. I want to be in a country club life. I want to eat and go and do whatever I want, wherever I want, however. All of this is, is shas al-chak. It's, it's an emergency situation. I don't really want to be doing it. 
So halacha has a system that's called bidiyevid shasarchak kidiyevid dummy. If something is a shasarchak, if it's a, you know, sometimes you have an emergency situation, you have extenuating circumstances. In extenuating circumstances, we will employ a leniency because of the extenuating circumstances. So if all of your Yiddishkeit is one big extenuating circumstance that I don't want to be here, you'll always be looking for leniencies. But if you say, Shasar Chak, what are you talking about? This is not extenuating circumstance. This is my life. This is the air I breathe. This is the flow of bracha from above. This is my whole life. This is my identity. And I'll never look for a leniency. I want to get it right. And I want to do it right. And tell me what to do. I was deeply offended when I heard it. I've come to believe it had a lot more truth than I first thought. If you live life, I don't really want to be here and it's miserable and I just want to be like everyone else. I want to do what everyone else does and I'm stuck doing this because it's my parents and my grandparents because the shame factor and my kids won't get shidduchim. But really, my whole lifestyle, this whole Judaism, all this halacha, all this is just, ah, it's just shas harchak. It's just a big extenuating circumstance I want to get out of. Then you're always looking for the leniency. You're always looking for the least you can do. That's a lack of Yaresa Melokecha. Said Rav Yerucham, that's what Rashi's telling us. Where does Morahetar come from? A lack of Yerushamayim. Increase the Yerushamayim and you won't be Morahetar. A person who eats non kosher, person who eats non kosher, in that moment, they know they're doing something wrong, they're eating non kosher. It's not a lack of Yerushamayim per se, it was this incredible appetite they had for the non kosher. They couldn't give in, they couldn't withstand their urge, their appetite. The person who lends with interest, they don't say, I'm doing something wrong, but alas, what could I do? My Yetzirah was so strong. They say, yeah, that law, it's archaic. It doesn't apply. This is a different reason. It's a different time. I generally, yeah, they're morahetar. They're morahetar. And that's why I said, Rabbi Yerucham, that's why Rashi quotes it. That's why the Torah tells us, not when it comes to eating non-kosher. It doesn't say, avoid the cheeseburger, be God-fearing. Because the person who eats the cheeseburger knows they're doing something wrong. They don't say, oh, cheese is not cheeseburger. It's not a burger. It's not an episode of cheeseburger. They don't start to be morahetar. They know it's a cheeseburger, but what can I do? I love cheeseburgers. So I'm wrong, but I'm eating it. I can't help it. That's what they say. But when it comes to ribbons, when it comes to money, and people craving and holding on to their money, now they're more hetter. Ah, it's not really ribbons, and this is why, and it's okay here, and that's okay. Then, any place where you're tempted to be more hetter, Torah has to assert, have a healthy dose of Yerushamayim, so that you will not fall prey to wanting to be more hetter. Not wanting to be Moraheter. The Otsar Plus Torah quotes very interestingly. It's a whole book. I had a great Ribba Shaila last week. Somebody asked me. Last week, two weeks ago, a great Ribba Shaila. Great Ribba Shaila. Somebody invested with that money for a potential investment. But the potential investment hadn't yet come to fruition. But there needed to be some original seed money. So someone gave them a million dollars, opened a new bank account, LLC, put it in the bank account. So the million dollars is ready for when the investment will will be uh, ripe. Three, six months later, the investment had not yet come, the opportunity was not yet there to put the money in for the investment. But the person who had given the original money says now to the person who's going to be doing the investment, I just realized for the six months it's earning 5%. So I want back not only my money, I want what it was making in the bank in this delay during this time before the money was deployed in the investment. So the question came to me, was that money a loan towards the investment, so now it's ribis, it's interest, or was it a deposit? Was it a picadon? How do you view that money? So who's the person to call? Who wrote the book on ribis? Bisro Reisman, the art scroll, Halacha book on ribis, one of the most complicated areas in all of Halacha, one of the most complicated prokem and shas. These prokem are incredibly difficult. So I call Rabbi Reisman. He told me a machlokas, Reb Moshe, the Minchas Yitzchak. Do you distinguish? How do you distinguish between a halva and a pikadon, a loan and a deposit? And what Moshe felt was a defining factor was: is there a personal guarantee? Is there a personal guarantee on the money? And is the person entitled to use the money for any purpose other than the investment? So if in that bank account he could have used the money for something else in the meantime, and there was a personal guarantee on that money, that's a loan, not a deposit. But if it was limited, how he could use it? and there was no personal guarantee on it, 
It was a pikadon, an investment, and it would not be interest, ribis, to return it with what it was making in the bank account. Very interesting conversation. Otsar plus Torah has a different discussion, and Rabbi Reisman, I believe, addresses this in his Sefer, in the Yartzkro book on ribis as well. There is a rabbinic form of ribis if the malva tells the lova, the lender tells the borrower, he should tell him if so-and-so came from such and such a place because it's a favor, it's a benefit to the lender from the borrower, that in itself can be a form of interest. And the Ramah adds, Other forms of ribis, even with words, are prohibited. What's ribis with words? So in Darche Tshuva, he quotes in the shame of the Sefer Marbetora the following. When the borrower pays back the lender, can he say thank you? Is thank you interest on the loan? Maybe you have to just return the loan, but to verbalize thank you, what does thank you mean? Thank you translates to I'm indebted to you. I'm not paying interest on the loan. You lent me a hundred bucks, I gave you back a hundred bucks, plus I'm indebted to you. I've now given you interest on the loan with my thank you. So are you allowed to say thank you when you return a loan? Our Parsha says, can't charge interest, can't pay interest when you say thank you. The gemach lends money, you pay it back, you say thank you. Maybe the thank you is only prohibited before you've paid, once you give the money and transfer it. Maybe now it's no longer subject to ribis. A big discussion in halacha. He quotes, He quotes, but in the Mincha Shlomo, he was Chazarbo, he, he went back on it because he found the Shulchan Aruch Harav, the Balatanya, says that you should not express gratitude. The Yotzeh Plos HaTorah says, he asked this of Rav Chaim Kanievsky, who said, Ein omrim rak Don't say thank you for the loan, say thank you for all the effort in arranging the loan. Thank you. If you specify the thank you is for the effort in arranging the loan, the thank you is not for the loan, then it's okay. If you want to know how far, how complicated these halachas go, not for now, you got to learn these halachas, get Rabbi Reisman safer. What if somebody had you over for a meal and served you chicken? And now you're going to pay back the debt by having them over, but you're going to serve them corned beef, pastrami, give them a roast. Is that interest? They served you chicken. You're going to serve them meat. Maybe that's interest on the debt, the loan of they had you over. That's how far these complicated halachas go. That's why you have to be told, be God-fearing of a healthy dose of awe of God in order to make sure you get it right. The Megid Yosef, or Yosef Sorotskin, has a thought on ribis. And he says the following. Don't charge ribis so that your brother can live with you. You're allowed to charge ribis to a non-Jew. If it's unethical, why could you charge it to a Jew? If it's ethical, why can't you charge it to a Jew? If it's ethical, why can't you charge it to a non-Jew? If it is ethical, why can't you charge it to a Jew? What's the answer? It's totally ethical. We explain there's a time value of money. Why should you lose money to lend money? It's totally ethical to lend to a non-Jew. It's just you're a lowlife if your brother needs money and you charge him interest. So the Torah is trying to foster and condition a sense that we're all brothers, we're all family. So even your neighbor who's not related to you comes, a fellow Jew, achicha, and says, I need to borrow some money. No problem, I'm not charging you interest, you're in the family. When it's all family, you don't charge interest. The Baal Turim says, it says, V'chei achicha imach, and lo sig al tikach meito neshech v'sarbis. If you lend with interest, you won't live long. Neshech, interest in gematria is ze nachash. You're a snake. In the future, the nachash will not be healed. So you will not be healed. You're a low-life snake. If you lend your brother with him, your brother needs money, your brother's squeezed, and you're going to lend with interest? I'm not making a comment. 
I don't know enough to make a comment, but there's a big discussion. Should those who are Yarei Sameh Alokecha be in the cash advance business? Is that a proper business for somebody who's Yer Shemayim? A lot of the interest levels in the cash advance business and the position that people are in and what they need to agree to, I'm not weighing in, I don't know enough, but I do know that there's a big discussion. Even if something meets the letter of the law of halacha, is it the meta halacha? Is it moral? Is it what a yirei, v'yirei sameh elokecha? Is it what a yirei shemaim does? What's the connection between the snake and a person who lends with interest? So says Rav Saratskin, the kli akar, ikar ta'am isa aribis to the fishu mesa das to be tacham in adam, ki koba ma'asam atan e'na v'nesuos l'ashem, if you with interest, you don't believe in God. If you, if you learn with interest, you're so worried about making money with your money that you don't think God's going to take care of you. Your brother needed money. You think God's going to make you not whole because you took care of your brother, his other child? So what is really the problem of lending with interest is not a violation between man and man. What's it a violation between man and God? If you lend with interest you're actually showing a breakdown in your faith in Hashem. Where did the Nachash lead Adam and Chava wrong in Gan Eden? Not to believe in Hashem. No, you could touch it, he won't do anything. You can eat it, he won't do anything. Hashem didn't really mean it, Hashem's not really there, Hashem really won't hold you accountable. That was the ikr of the chait. The real core of how the Nachash led us astray was to say, He's not really in charge. He doesn't really control things. He doesn't really care. He's not going to really hold you accountable. It's the same mindset of the one who lends with interest. The one who lends with interest thinks he's not really there. He doesn't really see. He doesn't really have a say. He doesn't really care. He's not going to really hold me accountable. But you know what? My money needs to be making me money, even on my brother. So I'm going to lend with interest. That's where it comes from. And that's the suggestion of Rav Saratskin based on the Kliyakar. That's why the Balaturim compares the Nachash to the one who lends with interest. Zen Nachash in Gematria. That you have no future and that you will not be, and that you will not be healed. Perach Hafei Pasek Lamed Ches. Ani Hashem Lekechem Hashem Lekechem Hashem Lekechem Hashem Lekechem Hashem Lekechem Hashem Lekechem 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 the Yalkut, back to Rav Sarotskin, the Megid Yosef, another Megid Yosef. The Yalkut Shem, the Medrash there says, If you admit, you agree, you are committed to observe the law of ribis, of interest, then you admit, you agree that God took us out of Egypt. But if you are in denial that there's a prohibition of ribis, then you're kofar b'itzias mitzrayim. So what is the connection between Ribis and Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? What is this Pasuk? Don't lend with interest, and that's how you show that you believe I'm the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. Maybe shake the Lulav and Esrog. That's how you believe I took you out of Egypt. Keep Shabbos. That's how, why Ribis and God took us out of Egypt. So listen to this beautiful Rav Surutskin. He says, you know why? And what merit did God take us out of Egypt? Because Achtos. We cared about one another. The chesed we showed one another. The achtos that we had in, in Mitzrayim. So what is the source of ribas? Achtos. You charge interest to a stranger. A stranger knocks on my door and says, can I borrow 100 bucks? I say, sure. 5% interest you can. But a brother, a family member says, I can't pay my bill, I need 100 bucks. You're not going to say, sure, 5% interest. So ribas is fostering, is conditioning achtos, the merit through which we were taken out of Egypt was achtos. If you agree and observe the laws of ribis, you are agreeing and you are affirming the very merit and reason that he took us out of Mitzrayim to begin with another beautiful Rav Sorotsk. Let's move over to Parshas Bechukosai. For a few minutes, got to catch a flight for a wedding tonight. Perech Avav Pasa Gimel. If you follow my decrees, you observe my commandments and you perform them, then I will make it rain in its time. This is the brachas and klalos. Hashem says, do the right thing. I'm going to shower you with bracha. The wrong thing, you're going to struggle. Beautiful. Torah depicts for us the life that we have to be prepared to be living. Back to the Rachmesh Rithka. And he quotes the following from the Tuferis Uziel. Who heard from the Magid Agadol? 
If you observe my laws, my statutes, if you keep my Torah, it'll rain in the right time. Rashi talks about what's the right time, the best time for rain. Rain while you're sleeping, not while you're awake. The right amount of rain. You need the rain the right way, the right amount, the right time. But listen to what he says. Often in the middle of davening. You're davening. Sitter's open. You're zogging the tehillim. You have the safer open in front of you. You're finally learning. You're sitting here at the parshashir. And you know what happens? Often, inevitably, invariably, extraneous thoughts jump in your mind. You get distracted. You're in the middle of your Shemun and you start thinking about, I got to return that email. I got to make that phone call. I got to close that deal. I got this thing in business. I got to update the website. I got to change the thing. When you're davening, when you're learning, is when you start thinking about business and livelihood. And it's going to compromise your davening and your learning and all of your service of Hashem. That's not the time to think about gashmias. You have to be focused on business, on productivity, on efficiency. Take your initiative. But not while you're pursuing spiritual matters, not in the middle of davening or learning. That's the Torah's promise here. If you will follow my laws, if you live a stark, erlich life, if you have a moon and in Hashem, if you're learning His Torah and keeping His Torah and living His Torah, then asati gishmechem, I'll give you your gashmias thoughts, be'itam in the right time. When you daven, you'll be able to daven. When you learn, you'll be able to learn. And you're not going to be distracted by thinking about gashmias, then asati gishmechem be'itam. If you're a melim b'torah, if you really dedicate yourself and you toil in Torah, learning Torah, living Torah, v'nasati gishmechem, I'll give you your thoughts about gashmias, bi'itam, they'll come in the shower like a normal person, not while you're davening or while you're learning. They'll come when you're trying to fall asleep like a normal person, not while you're davening and you're learning. I'll give it to you, bi'itam, in the right time, v'lo yafriyu aschem be'emtza Torah tefila, k'deh shetuch l'asak be'em mitoch harchavaz hadas. Such a chasidah shavort, but a beautiful vort. A beautiful chasidah of Torah. Then asati, I'll give you your gashmias, meaning a person's going to be consumed by a certain amount of gashmias thoughts. We're going to think a certain amount about gashmias. When will those thoughts come? In a productive way? Or are they going to take away time with our family, time from our learning, time from Hashem? That's the good bracha. Then asati gishmechem bi'itam, I'll give it to you in the right time. And then he quotes, the Dega Machne Ephraim. Dega Machne Ephraim was the grandson of he writes, because the Torah continues, the Parsha continues in Pasuk Hey. Those words. And you will get, Lachem means you, Visig means you will, Visig, you will grasp, you will get. So listen to another Chasidah Shatayra. says, the Gemara Psachim tells us, everybody agrees. Even though there's a debate on Yontif. Kulal Hashem, Kulal Hashem. Should you dedicate the day to God? Should you dedicate the day to you? Should you spend the whole day of Yontif in shul davening and learning? Or spend the day at home, eating and enjoying? But everybody agrees, whichever position you take on this issue, that when it comes to Atzeres Shavuos, Be'inim Nami Lachem. Everybody agrees. Even those who say on other Yom Tovim, you need Kulal Hashem, whole day in shul davening and learning. Atzeres, Shavuos, you need Chetzi Lachem. What does that mean? Because Shavuos, which is the day you receive the Torah, you need at least Lachem, because you need, you need to eat, you need to be rested, you need Gashmias in order to have Ruchnias, Ein Kemach, Ein Torah. When it comes to receiving Torah, to learn Torah, to live Torah, you need first parnasa, in kemach in Torah. If you have no food to eat, you can't learn Torah. So, habitcho habitchos gashmiyim parnasa berevach kedeshi efshalim matorah barachav azaroi v'zeu shamar akasav v'hisig lachem. Hayne shi lachem parnasa berevach. If bechukosai teilechu, if you learn Torah and you have amuna v'hisig lachem, you'll be able to grab onto the lachem that which you deserve, the gashmiyas you're looking for in your life, you'll earn and you'll deserve and you'll have that healthy amount of lachem. I saw a, got a new safer. Thank you, Mendy. Always getting new svarim. 
These are called Plos Chsam Sofer, a collection of the teachings of the Chsam Sofer from all over. Chsam Sofer here says, Bechukosai Telechu, Shetu Amelim Batorah. You have to be dedicated to learning Torah, Amelim Batorah. So the Drush Chsam Sofer says, Zeus Simon Mufak. Is a person dedicated to learn Torah? Not easy, not passively. Now it comes comfortably and conveniently. Are you willing to break your teeth on Torah? To review, to learn, to challenge yourself, to leave your comfort zone. And the Chassam Sofer writes, The measure of a person's relationship with Hashem is not how well you daven only, not how much stucca you give, but do you exert effort when it comes to learning? Do you challenge yourself? Do you take on goals and pursue them? Are you working hard? Are you amel? And how do you express amelus? Do you share what you're learning with others? Do you share what you're learning with others? Do you teach others? Are you teaching others in your learning? He writes, that's what the Gemara says. Since the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, all Hashem has is his four Amos of Halacha. What are the four Amos? Lilmod lelamed lishmor velasos shehem ikar hakol. Lilmod ulelamed. The four Amos of Halacha that Hashem has. We don't have a Beis Hamikdash. We don't have the ability to go to a place to feel the Shechina. Where can we feel it? When we learn Torah. How do we feel it when we learn Torah? Lilmod, lalamed, lishmor, lasos. But it includes lalamed, the Chassam Sofer says, you can't only learn Torah for yourself, you have to break your teeth to teach Torah to others. Rabbi Brody just announced an amazing program before Shavuos of an outreach program, affiliated, unaffiliated, with a background, no background, advanced and beginner, massive, hundreds of people sitting together, Bechavrusa pouring over text, like the Jewish people did at Har Sinai. Lilmod, ulalamed. You have to have amelos, the effort, the toil for not only your own learning, says the Chassam Sofer, but to teach others the Torah as well. You have to have a healthy sense of amelus Torah. We have to work hard in teaching Torah. Are you allowed to do this on Shabbos? We'll end with this, even though there was a billion more things I wanted to tell you. The Rokeach writes, On Shabbos, your, turning, your Torah learning has to be light. Why? So this Amelus is during the week. On Shabbos, it would be a contradiction to the rest of Shabbos if you're Amel in learning on Shabbos. The Yavitz writes in his Siddur, The quality and nature of your learning on Shabbos has to be different than during the week. If you're schwitzing over your learning during, on Shabbos in such a way that you're toiling with an effort that it's disturbing and it's aggravating and you're toiling and you're exhausting, that is antithetical to the themes of Shabbos. Ad Kedekach, the Yavitz in the Siddur calls that Chil Shabbos. Chil Shabbos. It's a pretty wild thing and he has a whole discussion here. Shla, the Chida, the Minchas Luzer, and others. Do we believe in this or not? This notion, Tiamelem B'Torah, is that only during the week? But on Shabbos, Amelem B'Torah, Fashter Shabbos? Or even on Shabbos, you should dig deep and toil and make that effort. Look in Otsar Aplos HaTorah for a big discussion on that. I'll tell you one last Chassam Sofer. The end of Parshat B'chukosai, we have, of course, the Tochacha and Perech Havav Pasuk Membez. Last thing. Gotta get out of here. Perech Havav Pasuk Membez. V'zacharti is brisi yankov is brisi yitzchav av is brisi arts of kor via arts as kor. I will remember my covenant with Yaakov, my covenant with Yitzchak, my covenant with Avram. I will remember and I will remember the land. Says the Chassam Sofer on these words. Va'aretz is cool. Remember the land I wanted to get to, but we don't have time. We're out of order here. Yaakov, Yitzchak, Avram. What should the order be? Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov. Why do we go out of order? Save that for next year. But for this year, what do you mean Ha'aretz is cool? The land I will remember. Listen to the Chassam Sofer. I sent this to Rabbi Leo D this morning. I knew he would love it, and he did. Va'aretz is cool. Ki hu mispalelas al-chazaras Yisrael l'socha. The land is davening for the Jewish people to return to it. So God doesn't just tell Yaakov, Yitzchak, and Avram, I remember you. He hears the cries and the call of the land of Eretz Yisrael. The land itself says, "No, people, where are you? I'm waiting for you. I long for you. Ha'aretz Eskor, he, the land, mispalelas al achzaris Yisrael asocha. Ula'avas Hashem asamon nata tshuka nifla'a la'aretz. Shalatimsa koras ruach ki'im b'shchon Yisrael ba'aretz ha'hi. Kideshet tarbel ha'ispalo. 
Kosh Baruch Hu designed this land unlike any other land. This earth, this soil, this land, it has a personality. It can spit and vomit the people out, but it also knows how to daven and cry for us to come home. The land is calling for us to come home. Every one of us should not ask, not if, but when, we're going to go home to that land via Aretz's car. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy. Tomorrow night behind the Bima. We already had the 10 minutes on Living of the Moon this week because we're traveling. You can find them all online. Have a fantastic day. A good yontif. The light of Rav Shimon Bar Yochai.